name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You know, we live in a world of choices. We, uh, we choose our toothpaste and we choose our deodorant. Our cars, our houses, our jobs, our lifestyle, our friends, our church. I mean, the list goes on. We make choices all the time. We're confronted with them. Some choices are major choices. Some are minor. Some have consequences for the rest of our life. Uh, Actually, we're always making choices, and we always will be making choices. But I think this morning, I'd like to share with you that I believe, in my estimation anyway, the greatest choice that we must make is what are we going to do with God in our lives? Will we believe that he exists? But let's go further than that and say, will we follow him? Will we suppress the knowledge that we have of him? Or will we respond in faith to what we understand to be true of God? In this last chapter of Joshua, in his last public appearance, Joshua is uh, doing what Elijah will do centuries later. Centuries later, Elijah will call the people and he'll say to them, how long will you vacillate? How long will you vacillate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And in Elijah's case, the people answered him, not a word. Now, the elderly Joshua is... um, He is meeting with Israel one last time, and he is going to ask them something, and and I believe it's consequential for us today because at the end of this time together this morning, I'm going to ask you the very same question that he asked them, but he asked them to make a choice about God. And, uh, and let me just say that I don't think this is a choice that we make once. I think this is a choice that we have to either make all the time or actually reaffirm uh, this choice. Let me set the context in case you weren't here last week. The last two chapters of Joshua, Joshua's an old man. Now we've come to the end of his life. And he evidently calls together the people of Israel. In chapter 23, he's meeting with, it seems like the leadership or the elders, the, uh, the folks who are at the at the pinnacle of leadership. And uh, chapter 24, he's, he's talking to all the people of Israel. So chapter 23, it seems like it's the leadership. Chapter 24, it seems like it's, it's all of Israel. But I, I think both chapters are for all of us all the time, if you would. Last week, if you were here, chapter 23, I shared with you that I think Joshua lays out for us this fivefold plan of being faithful to God, how to remain faithful to the Lord. This morning, uh, it's, it's a call to the people. It's going to be a call to us. Now, this encounter between Joshua and the people, you'll, you'll see that it has four parts. And so I kind of want to look at the four parts, and then I'm going to uh, shine the spotlight on ourselves this morning. So let's begin. Here's the first part of this encounter with Joshua and the people, and I'm going to call it an appraisal. Joshua begins by apprising them or giving them appraisal of everything that's happened happened to them since the call of Abraham. I'm not going to read the text, but if you, if you read it later or if you've read it already, you'll remember that he starts with Abraham and how Abraham is the son of Terah and God called Abraham. 
And consequentially, ever since then, or sequentially ever since then, God has called Abraham's children, his sons and his grandsons, electing one or some from every generation and saying, you're specifically going to be my people and I'm going to use you and out of you is going to come this Messiah, this king that I'm going to send. He then reminds them of how uh, under Abraham, or not under Abraham, but under Abraham's children, they had a hiatus in Egypt where they were in captivity there for 400 years. And he talks about how God delivered them by his power from, from Egypt. And then in one sentence, he talks about the wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years. Then Joshua reminds them that how they, after the 40-year wandering in the wilderness, how they arrived on the east side of the Jordan River and how God defeated the Amorites and the Moabites and how in spite of King Balak trying to use the prophet Baal against them to curse them, God had not allowed him to do that. And then Joshua summarizes the past years of conquest over, over the lands of Canaan, how they defeated their enemies and how God was the person who was defeating their enemies for them. And then he comes to verse, the end of verse 12, verse 13, and he summarizes all of this by saying, it was not by your sword or bow, I gave you a land you did not labor for and cities you did not build. Though you live in them, you are eating from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Such is appraisal. His appraisal is that God has been working all along since the call of Abraham. God has been working in the people of Abraham, the people of Israel. And, and now he's saying, you are where you are today, in this land, in the promised land, by the work of God, not by your own doing. You're, you're living in cities you didn't build, and you're eating from vineyards that you didn't grow. All this is the work of God. And I would think it would be good for us, if, if I could just suggest this to us, that you and I ought to take times of appraisal of our own lives and remember the things that God has done, not just universally in all of our lives, but the specific things that God has done in your lives and the involvement of God's spirit, how God's spirit has got you to where you are today. You should take those inventories regularly. Well, after that appraisal, that leads us to the second part of this encounter with the people, and this is an appeal that Joshua makes. And this is really an unabashed appeal. It begins in verse 14. Read it with me. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which will you worship, the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living now. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So this begins with a therefore. And you know that when there's a therefore, what it's always doing is saying, whatever's coming next is built on what I just said. So in light of the appraisal that Joshua just gave them, reminding them of how they got to where they are and the work of God in their lives to this point, he says, because of that, I want you to do something. There's something that you have to do. There's a response that you need to make to what God has done. And, and the consequences of the actions that he's going to suggest to them are threefold. Here they are. Here's the first one. He says, therefore, because of all that God has done, he says, fear God. You see that in the text? Fear God. Now, obviously, Joshua doesn't mean be terrorized by God. In other words, don't, don't see God as on the, edge of, on the edge of his seat always with a big bat, just ready to clobber you whenever you fail or strike you down whenever you've done wrong. You know, God is not, no good father's like that, right? No good father's like that. And God's a good, good father. God is not like that. 
But here's what he means by that when he says fear the Lord or fear God. He's saying God is a good father and he disciplines us. God will not be mocked. And so he says, basically he's saying this, fear the discipline of God. Fear that if you mock God, God is not going to let that go without his intervention, without him speaking into that or dealing with you. And in their case, Joshua just reminded them the chapter before that just because God brought you into the land doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. Just as God brought you into the land, if you're not faithful to God, God can destroy you. In fact, he says God will take you out of this land if you are not faithful to the Lord. Now, too many kids today, and maybe, maybe this is anecdotal, this is just my observation, but too many kids today don't fear their parents because their parents do not discipline them. In other words, they don't fear the discipline of their parents because their parents aren't disciplining. They threaten, but they never follow through with any kind of discipline. Here's, here's what you should teach your children through discipline, that God is not mocked, and God is a good father, and God will discipline us. So number one, he says, therefore, because of what God has done, fear God. Number two, he says, worship him in sincerity and in truth. So here's what Joshua's asking for. Listen, in light of all that God has done for you, Israel, don't be a fake. Don't be a fraud. Don't be, don't be somebody who's putting on this outward facade or be a pretender. Now, when I read this, maybe your mind went to the very same place mine did, right? Mine went to the Samaritan lady in John chapter 4. Remember when she says, hey, we as Samaritans worship on this mountain. You Jews say we worship on that mountain. And, and she says, which mountain should we mount, worship on? He says, listen, I'm telling you, ma'am, there's, there's coming a day when God, you're not going to worship on this mountain or this mountain. God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Man, doesn't that sound exactly what Joshua said to them that day? Worship in sincerity and in truth. In fact, I've said many times with, without necessarily even seeing the corollary between Joshua's words way back then and Jesus' words, that what Jesus was saying is God is looking for people who worship him from their, from their inner being, from, their, from the core of their soul, right? Or their, their, their heart, as we call it, right? God's looking for people who are worshiping from who they are on the inside, not just with this external facade. God wants people from the heart. My dad was a pastor, and he used to tell me this story about how he had just come to this place. It was, it was down in North Carolina, and, and he went to visit a man who hadn't been in church in a while, and the man said, yep, I need to get back to church because it's not good for my business. I mean, that really struck my father. It wasn't good for his business. That's why he needed to get back to church. He was a pretender. I mean, I don't know his heart, but he was obviously a pretender because his, his gathering with God's people had nothing to do with gathering with God's people. It was good for his business. God is looking, Joshua is saying, listen, in light of all that God is doing for you, do, or has done for you, don't be a pretender, be for real. And for the life of me, I don't know why anybody pretends today. Why would anybody pretend today? There's no cultural value in you being here today. In fact, you're probably looked down on in these days for being a follower of Jesus. It's not the same as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Joshua is saying, let your worship be from your heart, from the core of your being. No external show, no outward facade. But then he also says, let worship be in truth. You know, people are worshiping false gods. They're suppressing the truth of God. They're suppressing God's truth. And he says, don't do that. You know, in, in, in Romans chapter 1, it says that people suppress the truth of God and they worship the creature rather than the creator, right? 
And I think this is what Joshua is saying. Hey, don't suppress the truth of God that you know. Worship God in the truth that he has revealed to you. And then the third thing that he says, in light of God doing all of this, therefore, here's my appeal to you, fear God, and uh, fear God, and then uh, worship in sincerity and truth. And then the third thing is, he says, worship God exclusively. Get rid of the past gods that you've had. As, as if he needed to say that, but he's telling them, reject the gods that your fathers used to worship back when they were before the call of Abraham. Reject those gods and reject the gods of the Amorites and the gods that are in the land now. Reject them and exclusively serve God, exclusively love only the Lord. It reminds me of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you remember in Ephesus when they began to serve the Lord, does anybody remember what they did? They got their magical books out and their idols out and they had a big bonfire and they burned them. When Paul went to Thessalonica and the people began to, to follow, he wrote them a letter back later on and he says, you know what, I don't need to tell anybody about you guys because everywhere I go, people tell me of how you turn from idols to serve the, the living God. So that's what Joshua is saying. He's saying, listen, you, you have to exclusively follow God or exclusively, in our case, follow Jesus. It's not about adding Jesus to the other leaders in our life. They say that the Hindus have 33 million gods, and I've understood, and, and Zach and Lee can speak to this more, more uh, anecdotally for sure, but, uh, but I've understood that one of the hard things about reaching Hindus is that they have a tendency just to add Jesus to one of their 33 million gods. Here, here's what Joshua's saying. You have to worship God alone. You have to get rid of the other 33 million, and you have to serve God and God alone. And so for us, Jesus is saying, listen, there can't be a pantheon of leaders, and there can't be a pantheon of little gods and interest in our lives. Jesus, God, demands exclusivity in every one of our lives. Now, the last part of this appeal, I think, is so powerful. It's funny, Zach, I don't even know if you knew what I was going to be speaking on, but you, you quoted part of this, last, uh, this, this, this part, last part of the appeal. And, and he says, he's telling them, it's time for you to make a real decision here. And, uh, and just like Elijah years earlier, or years later, would say, hey, get off the fence, quit riding the fence. In an unabashed declaration, he says, You've got to decide who you're going to serve. But as for me and my family, it's a done deal. We've already made the decision. It's already established. We will serve the Lord. So his appeal, he says, hey, look, hey, if, you need any, if you need any leadership in this, look to me. Because as for me and my family, we're going to follow God. But you, you have to make a decision. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? That leads us to the third part of this not confrontation, but this, this meeting with the people. And this third part's an affirmation by the people. So in verse 16, the people reply, We will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our ancestors out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. So the people are moved. They're moved by Joshua's words and they, and they reaffirm this appraisal. And they say, first of all, it's true. You are right. God did it. God moved all of those people out for us. It was God's doing. 
And he gave us great signs too, by the way. We've seen great signs throughout the years. Verse 19. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the God. Now, this is, this is something else, man. You know, you'd think he'd get all excited and say, all right, that's wonderful. But look what he says. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord your God because he is a holy God. We sang that today. Holy, holy is the Lord. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. Now, here's what Joshua says to them. He doesn't just let their affirmation lie. He says, and this is what he's saying, he says, you won't be able to worship God if, there's a a conditional statement in there, if you're going to continue to worship other gods. In other words, God is a jealous God. God. God is not going to let you worship the other 33 million gods alongside him. You have to exclusively choose him. You have to decide, I am going to follow the Lord and him alone. He says, if you don't, listen, know this, God will abandon you. And not only God will abandon you, he will destroy you in the land. Verse 21, the people respond again to Joshua. No, the people answered, we will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Once again, they they reaffirm their, their faith and that they will not fall away and that they will love the Lord their God and they will follow him. And Joshua reminds them, hey, on this day, on this day, you are to witness against one another that you are choosing today to follow the Lord. And then he says in verse 23, then, in other words, if all this is true, then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord and our God and obey him. Now, do you get that? Get rid of the foreign gods. What does that mean? It means one of two things. It means that the foreign gods among them are so obvious to all of them He's saying, guys, if you really mean what you're saying, then get rid of all of those idols that are all among you. Or the second thing he quite possibly may mean is that some of you out there are faking it. You know it and I know it. So those of you that are out there that are faking it and that you've got other gods, you deal with those gods. So it's one of those two things. Either it's so widespread that he's talking to all of them or there's a whole bunch of them that are hypocrites. And he says, I know, I know that you're being fakes. I know that you're worshiping other gods. Now, if you really mean what you're saying, stop deceiving and get rid of those false gods. God's. Whatever the case is, he's holding them to what they're declaring. We will follow the Lord. He says, all right, if you're going to do it, then get rid of the gods among you. Get rid of all those idols and false gods that you follow. And that brings us to the last part of this encounter. And and I'm going to call this an attestation of their commitment. And this is really from Joshua, verse 25. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute a statute and an ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak at the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, you see this stone? It will be a witness against us for it has heard all the words the Lord said to us and it will be a witness against you so that you will not deny your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. 
So God's people were really big on setting up memorials back then. I guess you probably noticed that all throughout the book of Joshua. That's what they're doing. Um, just recently, remember, they, they created an, an altar on the east side of the Jordan River, which almost takes them to war over that. But let's back up. They, they created a memorial at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim. They created a memorial when they crossed the river. You remember that? They took stones from the beginning, from the, from the middle, and they, they, they created a memorial there. Well, Joshua's creating a memorial on this day. He's also writing all this down in the book of God. So evidently, this is the same book that Moses was writing. Maybe this is the book of Joshua. I don't know. But he's writing down what has happened. And then he takes this evidently large stone and he says metaphorically, this stone has heard what you've said today. And this stone is going to be a memorial. This stone is going to be a witness against you if you turn away from the Lord. If you turn away from God, this stone one day will witness to the fact that you were lying because you said you were going to follow the Lord. You know, I thought about this 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 week as I was going through this. I thought maybe I should have taken 24 and 23 in reverse order. Because 24 is the call to faithfulness, and 23 was how do you do it. So if you missed 23, go back and listen to chapter 23. Because it talks about how we can remain faithful to the end. They, uh, they did something specific to acknowledge, to attest what they were saying. So today, this day, what day are we? August 23rd, right? 2020. Today, we are many years removed from the day that Joshua delivered this address to the people. But I think it's a good word for us this morning. And so I want to follow, I want to follow what Joshua did that day for us this morning. And I want to begin with an appraisal. I want to, I want to apprise you of what God has done. And I, I, I could, I guess, maybe in some ways go around here and point to different people and say, this is what God's done in your life because I've lived with you and walked with you all these years, so I know what God has done in some years. But, but let, me just, let me just make it big, and let me just say, here's what God has done for you. God has rescued you from your death. God has taken the wage of your sin, and though you will die, you will live again. God has rescued you from death. Here's something else that God has done. God has created a kingdom in which his son is going to rule over it forever and ever and ever. And he's not only invited you in, but he has made you a part of that kingdom. And you are now one of his sons by faith. But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And so you, if you by faith have received the Lord, you have become a part of this kingdom that God is building. And you're going to be in his kingdom forever. And you're going to be under his rule forever. Now let me tell you something else that God is doing right this very moment. And that is that he's changing you. And he's transforming you. And he's working in your life. And, and all of us are this to some degree. Some of us are much more of this maybe than others. But we were all selfish and self-centered and self-sinking. Our, our interests were our own. Our desires were for our own self and what we wanted. But God saved us and he rescued us from that. And he changed us. He's changing us now. Here's what God has done for you. Here's this appraisal. God has been rescuing you from rescuing you from your selfish self. And he's been transforming you and, and making you, instead of being egotistical and proud, he's changing you into a humble servant, one like himself, who's kind and gracious and good and loving and righteous and holy, all the things that he is. And, and here's something else that I can say for you to you, that God has walked with you 
and difficulties. God, God has always and always will walk with us in dark places, and he will grace us with what we need when we don't feel like we can carry on. He will be there for you, and he will walk with you. And he's helped you win battles for sin, over sin. Even when you failed at times, he helps you win the next battle over sin. And literally, literally, he's transforming our lives and changing us. And, and we should be different. Not, not that we're better. We should be different because the Spirit of God lives within us. And I'm trying to do an appraisal of what God has done in our life so that I can give you the therefore, right? Because of all of this that God has done for, for us, therefore, I make this appeal to all of us. Would you this morning fear the Lord? Would you fear the Lord? I don't mean fear that God is just waiting to clobber you when you stumble. I'm talking about fear disappointing God, fear letting the Lord down, fear the discipline of God because God is not mocked. I mean, if you really love God and if you really recognize this, this appraisal of what God has done in our lives for us and he's still doing today, therefore fear him, fear letting him down, fear disappointing him. Fear discouraging him with our disobedience and rebellion. And then may I, may I call you to the second thing that Joshua called them today? Would you worship him in spirit and in truth? Would, would you today, uh, in sincerity of heart, worship the Lord? Stop being lukewarm. Stop sitting on the fence. Stop being faithless, but be faithful. How long will you vacillate between two opinions? I'm talking about you that are sitting here this morning. How long will you vacillate between two gods, the creator of all things or the little God that you've created in your life that, that you want to follow because he brings you joy and pleasure or whatever? How long will you sit on the fence? You can't, you can't sit on the fence. You can't sit on the fence. Put away your gods. That's what he told them. That's what I'm, that's by the spirit of God, whatever this message is worth. If you're on the live stream, this is for you too. Put away the gods that you follow and that you serve. Choose you this day. Who is really going to be God in your life? Who's really going to be your number one? Who are you exclusively going to worship and follow and praise? Choose you this day. In the movie, remember the Titans? That's a great movie. And there's a couple of lines, but, but one of the lines, and I don't remember exactly where it is. I didn't go back and watch it. But, but you remember that the, the two, the black and white school come together, they form a team, and they're winning everything. And, of course, everybody's down on them because, because they're a mixed football team. And, uh, and there's this one coach that's just giving Coach Boone a really hard time. And I can't remember if it's Coach Boone or Coach Yost that says this line. But in this particular game, I mean, they're beating him and they're, and they're beating them bad. And one of the coaches says to the other, he says, leave no doubt. And then it shows the score and they run the score way up and they just, they, they defeat him something terrible. Leave no doubt who your, who your God is going to be. 
Anna said this a million times to me. She says, I just wish young people would live in such a way. And old people, this is for all of us. I wish you would live in such a way that when you die, there is no doubt you belong to Jesus. You have been changed by Jesus. You've been transformed by Jesus. I don't mean you're perfect. I don't mean you don't stumble. I don't mean that you don't fall and maybe fall grievously. I'm talking about though you leave no doubt because when you fall, you get back up and you repent and you follow the Lord. I'm not talking perfection here. I'm talking about walking the life of loving Jesus even in the midst of our failures and even in the midst of our hard times. Leave no doubt when you die, don't make it hard for the rest of us to know, hey, did they or did they not love God? That's what, that's what we, that's how we need to be. And that's what I'm calling us to today. Now notice, and the people answered him. This is the third part of the engagement, right? And the people answered him. How do a million people answer Joshua? And if it's not a million people there, how do a hundred thousand people answer Joshua? And if it's not a hundred thousand people there on that day, it's tens of thousands of people. How do tens of thousands of people? And I'm going to go even one more. Maybe it's just thousands of people. How do thousands of people answer Joshua on that day, right? Did they, did they start clapping? Did they stand to their feet and start cheering? Did they start, how did they do it? I have absolutely no idea, but according to the scripture, they answered God, or they answered Joshua, and they answered God, and they said, we will serve the Lord. We will follow the Lord. Of course, Joshua didn't leave it there. He said, well, then put away the gods. Put away your false gods. Put them away. But I want to call on you, and I have no idea how you're going to respond or how you should respond to this, but I am making an appeal to you today. Will you put away the gods of culture? Will you put away the gods of power and prosperity and pleasure? Will you put them away, and will you serve only God? Will you love only God? I'm asking you. Will you love only God? Will you? They answered. I'm waiting on you to answer. How, how, how are you going to answer? How do you answer? You get, I have no idea. This is the part that in my notes I argued with God all week. I, I can't do that, God, because I need to instruct them on what to do. I, I'm not instructing you. However they answered God, you answer God. Are you willing to put God first and love only God and say, and say no to the gods all around us? Will you choose this day again to put God first in your life and love him and only him? And you've been here many times. Maybe every Sunday is the same appeal. Maybe every Sunday is like this. And this won't be the last one. God's going to be appealing this to you all the time, all the time. Can we be like Joshua? But as for, as for me and my house, you, you, you choose today who you're going to serve. The gods of our culture, the gods of America, the gods of our prosperity and materialism, or are you going to serve God and love him and put him first and exclusively belong to him and trust and obey and do whatever he tells you to do? I mean, this is, this is a call from the heart of God. Will you? I don't know. I think I thought you'd get up cheering, standing up, say, I will. I don't know what I thought you would do. 
I'm going to assume that you're saying yes. So I have an attestation for us today. I'm, I've got something that I'm going to call on as a witness between. I'm going to call. I got someone's going to call on a witness for us one day. When you walked in here and you received the the elements of the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is an attestation to the work of God. It's an attestation to the work that God sent his son Jesus to die for us. And Jesus bore our sins. And by his death, we are rescued from our own death. It's an attestation. It's a remembrance. It's a memorial to that. But this morning, I hope you don't find me out of line. But I'm saying to you this morning that the Lord's Supper, maybe it's already this, but the Lord's Supper is an attestation this morning of these of this thing that you're saying in your heart that, yes, God, I'm putting away all the gods of my life and I am going to serve you and only you and I'm going to love you. And so as you take the Lord's Supper this morning, it's going to be a witness against you one day if the things you say this morning are not true, if it's not your heart's desire to follow and love and serve only God. You understand what I'm saying? Joshua set up a rock, and, and, and I thought about bringing a rock or saying this speaker is going to, be, is going to rise up one day as a witness against your testimonies. But, but I felt like the Lord gave me permission to say this taking of the Lord's Supper this morning will be an attestation against us one day that we are saying, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm loving you more than anything and everything, and I want to follow you with all of my heart. Again, I feel like I need to say it again. Forgive me for saying things over and over again, but I'm not, I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm not, I'm not asking you to earn God's love by what you're doing. I'm, I'm asking you that because you love God, because you're saying, yes, God, you are of utmost value to me. I'm putting you first. I want to love you first. I want to love you most. When you came in, you had a chance to get the, the elements for the Lord's Supper. Maybe you missed it. And so uh, I've got a couple people at the back. Anybody didn't get it that would like to get it, raise your hand. And they're ready to give you some. Okay, Micah, Micah didn't get some up here. And neither did the whites right here. Hold your hand up high so that they can see you so they know where you come from. Right up here. All right, so because of COVID, we're not, not supposed to pass out the elements and that sort of thing. And so uh, we, we've purchased these self-contained units, so you only have to touch yours. Never done it before, but I think you pull off the, the little purple paper at the top, just the paper, the purple thing. There's two little tabs there, and there should be a piece of bread on the top of the cup. This bread will be a witness against us, but more importantly, this bread is a witness to the broken body of Jesus. You know, he, in his death and in his life, he bore our death by dying for us, and his body was broken so that it would not live, and the breath of life left him. So would you take this in remembrance of the broken body of Jesus, how he broke himself for us? And then if you pull the purple, the other tab back.
And of course, we all remember it was Passover. It was Passover celebration that Jesus took the Passover meal and changed it forever for us. And he said, and they were drinking the cup, the wine, and they said, um, and he said of the cup that they were taking, that this wine is representative of my blood. And the blood is always representative of the life of the person, right? When the, when the animals were sacrificed and they were bled out, or they, they, that the, the life is in the blood, it says in the Old Testament. And so this is representative also of Jesus laying down his life for us. Without the shedding of life, without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no, there is no rescue from death, but Jesus rescued us by intervening with his own life. Do this in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. Father, you've heard our testimony this morning. You've heard the cry of our heart. If we could be there the days that Joshua spoke, Lord, uh, maybe, maybe their hearts burned like I hope our hearts burned this morning, just wanting to say to you, Lord, as in, in spite of our weaknesses and our frailty and our failures, Lord, we really do want to love you most and love you first and follow you with all of our heart and spirit and in truth, in sincerity and in truth. So, Lord, would you just, by your spirit, empower us. Spirit, we look to you because you're the one that's transforming us. We look to you to help us be faithful to the things that we desire in our heart. Thank you, Lord, that by your mercy and grace, we've come to a place of not suppressing truth, but we've come to a place of receiving the truth that you've revealed to us. Thank you for the promise that we have of eternal life with you. Thank you for the promise of the kingdom to come and life together with our loved ones. Thank you, Lord, for, for working in our lives now, transforming us and changing us. Would you continue to change us into the image of your Son? And we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Father. We pray in, in the name of Jesus, the one who gave himself for us. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.